0: Good morning. It's good to see everybody here on this beautiful Labor Day. There's a little taste of fall in the air this weekend. It's beautiful out there. Uh, if you're joining us online, and a lot of you probably are since it's Labor Day weekend, we uh, welcome you. And uh, we hope that you enjoy taking part in the service that way. And if you're still in the parking lot, we're glad that you're out there uh, as well. If you're visiting with us, you can go outside these doors as you leave. And in the lobby, there is a welcome table, and you can grab a bag Uh, And it's just got some information about the church and how we can serve you and how you can contact your staff uh, here at the church throughout the week. Um, I just want to mention something real quick before we go into our time of worship. Uh, We're about to sing, hey baby, uh, we're about to go into um, a time of worship. And the first song we're going to sing is called It Is Well. And I don't know if you ever think about the lyrics as you sing them, but that's a hard song to sing, It Is Well. Because most of the time when we sing it, it's not well. Um, And so uh, how can we sing this song uh, in the proper place of mind and heart Uh, and it comes from Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 it says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so when we have world turmoil natural disaster pandemics Uh, personal struggles, we're able to sing the song, It Is Well, because we find our rest in Jesus. And so when we place ourselves and our issues and the things that we see around us in the care of Jesus and we enter that rest, then we can sing It Is Well. And it's a hard place to get to because you have to be content in Jesus and knowing that what you're going through you'll find rest in him. And so this morning, I want to pray for us that we can find that place of contentment, that place of rest, where we can actually sing It Is Well, because it is well, because we know Jesus has it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we're looking forward to worshiping you this morning here uh, in song and in teaching. And uh, Lord, help us to find that place, that place of rest, where we can actually sing It Is Well from a place of wellness. And uh, Lord, as we uh, enter this time of worship, Lord, I want to pray that you'd be with the the musicians as they play and uh, the leaders as they sing and our our congregation as they worship with us this morning. I also want to pray for Kevin this morning as he brings us the word, hiding behind the cross, and let him also teach from a place that is well, Lord, because he finds his rest in you. And, uh, Lord, we just ask you'd have your will and way over the next hour or so of this service, Lord. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will stand up and sing it as well.
1: Is the cornerstone. We need to pray for people who are going through storms, and that our nation's been hit very hard with hurricanes. And we want to pray for those families who lost a lot of loved ones this past week through that. I have a couple quick announcements for Sunday school lesson. I'm doing a Sunday school lesson online. That's on East Telusville's Facebook. You can go there and look at that if you'd like to. And also. Uh, I want us to remember Bethel, Collie and Mercy. They'll be here next week and they'll be in our Sunday morning service. I want you to pray for that time. We're going to have a good time with those guys as they come down and share their testimonies. They're going to be here next week. But as far as prayer concerns, I want to pray for Ruby Goins this morning. Ruby and Bill. Uh, Ruby's not well. And I want you to help me lift her up in prayer this week and the family. And they have been a, a good cornerstone for our church. They've been strong family. I want, you, I want you to lift Ruby and her family up in prayer. And my neighbor Judy Moose is not well. I want you to, to pray for Judy as she's at home. Then I want to pray for our, our people that are left behind back in Afghanistan. I don't know about you, but I've been brokenhearted over this week. And I want to pray for the safety. The second fastest growing church in the world is in Afghanistan. And folks, they're, when they're persecuted, they're put to death. And I want you to pray for the safety of Americans and for Christians there and for the people there. The church, God has called us to pray, so let's join in prayer. Father, this morning, I want to pray for Ruby and for Bill for Amy and for the family this week. God, we just lift her up. God, I pray you give her grace and peace and strength for every day and be with Bill and Amy. Father, be with Judy and Roger, Lord, this week, as she's not well. And Father, we want to pray, Father, for those who've been left behind in Afghanistan. Father, we pray for divine intervention, for safety. Lord, for for protection for their very lives, for the Christians that are being persecuted and put to death. And Lord, for the women who have been abused over there. We pray, God, that you'd intervene and intercede on their behalf. Lord, that you'd stand in the gap, father you'd send your presence to protect them and father this morning we want to thank you that you're our cornerstone and father on you we can build because you're the solid rock and father without without you we're nothing but we want to thank you father because you live within us we have a hope that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us and father we want to thank you for that victory that we have in christ alone father i pray you'd bless this time of worship Bless Kevin as he comes to preach your word. Father, bless the time of preaching and singing that it might bring you honor and glory. And Father, may we as your people pray one for another. And Father, may we pray for this hour and the hours to come and for one another in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
2: Thanks.
3: If you would turn to Genesis chapter 3, and if you're looking in your bulletin and you've come to the time of the sermon, um, just to let you know, I'm not Jamie Steele. And before the rumor mill of Taylorsville, North Carolina gets hot, um, just to let you know, he had a a minor procedure done on Thursday around his eye. There was a concern that he would have some swelling and bruising, which he did. So uh, we made a decision Friday that I would just go ahead and and bring the message this morning. So it's an honor for me to stand before you. So if you've got your Bibles at Genesis chapter 3, we're going to do a second part of my sermon back in March. Um, the last time I preached, I preached out of Genesis chapter 3. We looked at specifically chapters verses 1 through 6, and we looked at what I entitled it the ultimate choice, the most tragic choice that has ever been made in history. It is a choice that has impacted all of us, impacts us today. The reason. The world is like it is is because of the choice that was made in Genesis chapter 3. And I talked to you briefly about how, just by way of review, Genesis chapter 3 is crucial to understand scripture. Chapter 3 is vital to understand and make sense of our world. If you don't have chapter 3, why did Jesus die? If you don't have chapter 3, what happened from Genesis 1 and 2, when everything was perfect. God said it was good, even very good. And then you have the rest of biblical history, all the conflicts, all the wars, all the death. If you don't have chapter 3, it doesn't make sense. And if you struggle to understand scripture, I told you this, you can break scripture down into three parts. You have creation, the first part. You have the fall, Genesis 3. And then you have the rest of scripture of redemption and restoration. To get us back to how we begin in Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to dive back into this and uh, I've entitled this The Fall, The Fallout, and The Fix because we saw last time, we saw the fall. We saw how it came about. We saw how Satan came against Eve. His strategy against her is the very same strategy he has in our world and against you as we live our lives. What he seeks to do is get us to doubt what God has said, confuse what God has said, add to what God has said, deny what God has said, lie about what God has said, ultimately to get us to doubt God and doubt his word any way possible. That is his strategy. That is why when you look online and you look at Facebook, believe it or not, you can't believe everything you read, right? this world is full of deception. From government leaders to your neighbor, there can be deception. We just have a world saturated because we have the prince of the power of the air that is at work, and his strategy has not changed. And we also looked at how every temptation you and I face comes down to this. It is a crisis of belief. It is a matter of will you believe God or will you believe the enemy? Do you think his way is best, or are you going to follow your way that you think is best? And the final thing, if you remember the donuts, and I apologize, I didn't bring donuts today. Some of you that are hungry, Andy, I don't know if you're in here, you don't get donuts this week. But we looked at that simple illustration, and when I saw that first illustration at camp, um, it stuck with me. And it's a powerful illustration. Basically, if you remember, we had some fresh donuts from Donut Life. Imagine you're hungry, you're starving, you've been on a diet for two weeks you've been starving yourself and then I bring in this nice fresh batch of donuts. my only instructions is you can have them but I did sprinkle rat poisoning all over them so it's your choice the question is do you believe me or not? that's all it comes down to and our temptation to choose sin or not comes down to will we believe God? do we trust him? do we really believe that God loves us and desires what's best for us? is his way right? So we're going to pick up right there where Eve and Adam decided not to trust God. And the fall happened. So if you've got your Bibles, um, if you've got your phones, you can pull up Scripture there or a tablet. If you're at home, I encourage you to pull it up in some way so you can look at this. Let's stand together in honor of God's Word. And we're going to read the rest of this chapter. And I may be a little ambitious to try to work myself through this and work us through this, but I will give it a shot. So beginning in verse 6, where we stopped last time, it says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? As you read that, how do you read that? As your perspective of God, how, how do you read that? As God came to him and says, where are you? Is it a, where are you, Adam? Or is it somewhat, something different? Adam, where are you? Is it judgment or is it concern? Verse 10, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman that you gave gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, say, and you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. Verse 19, And in the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. And Adam called to his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now he, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent, out, sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, he placed a cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for your promises. Lord, I'm thankful that you were sovereign, and from the very beginning you had a plan. And Lord, I'm also thankful that you were the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, help us to see ourselves, our struggle in this passage. but Lord, even more importantly, help us to see you, who you are, what you've done and to find our hope in you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what we're going to do today, just by way so you know where we're going, we're going to look at two major things. We're going to look at, first of all, the sinful nature is revealed. Beginning in verse 7, we're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at how God's nature and plan is revealed in this passage. So first of all, let's look at the sinful nature being revealed in verse number 7. It says, The eyes of both of them in that moment were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together made made themselves coverings. It says their eyes were opened. And one little side note and I don't want to go off on a bunch of little tangents here but isn't it interesting that their eyes were not opened until Adam took of it? Eve had eaten, right? They weren't open yet. But Adam as the head of the home being responsible spiritually in God's design when he chose it things changed. He was responsible. He was accountable. And there was a sudden awareness that things were different. In an instant, the indwelling sin nature was now known. Innocence was lost. Purity and holiness was gone. In that moment, spiritually, they had died. And think about this. Their God-centered life, living in the garden, walking with God daily, It was was like the temple, the presence of God was there. It was the Holy of Holies, it was unlike anything. In that moment of a God-focused, God-centered life, life has flipped upside down and now, this God-centered life is now a self-centered life in that choice. And what's interesting is they realized that they were naked. Now hadn't they always been naked and nobody told them? Adam and Eve, y'all don't have clothes on? (laughs) It wasn't that, that physically they had changed. But now, internally, they had changed. There was suddenly a consciousness, a self-consciousness, a vulnerability, and they were totally exposed. It was more than just being physically exposed, but emotionally and spiritually. Look at Hebrews 4.13. It carries with it this same idea. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked. It is exposed. It is laid open and exposed before his eyes and he is the one whom we are accountable. So here we see they've made a choice in that moment their lives are changed internally something has happened the sin nature now indwells them. And one little another little side note here if you go back to verse number 5 look back there it says for God knows Satan telling Adam and Eve for God Eve God knows in that day you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Now here's what happened here he told them basically two truths and a lie have you ever played that game we used to play that as students you go around the circle you say two things that are true about you one thing that's a lie and you try to guess what it is well here Satan does the same thing with Eve two things that are true would they know good and evil yes their eyes would be opened but here's the lie they would not be like God in fact they would become less like God the lie told them that they would be like Him. But here's the difference. God knows evil like a doctor knows cancer. It is a knowledge externally. It is information. It is the knowing the effects, the progression, the consequences, the result. God knows evil. That's why He said don't eat from the tree. But they didn't know evil like that. It wasn't external. All of a sudden, it was internal. And the lie was this, that they... We're not like God, but they knew, can't know this new sin, new evil, not like a doctor knows cancer, but as a patient knows cancer. It now infected them. It was internal. They were intimately knowledgeable of it because it was in them. So this sinful nature, this time, has totally changed their lives. And here's the reality. It has impacted and it has been passed on to every single one of us. Every single person that has been born on this earth, except for one, has this sinful nature indwelling them. How do I know? Because I have kids. How many of you ever had to teach your children to lie about something? How many of you ever had to teach your children to sneak around to do things they shouldn't do? How many of you ever taught your kids to pitch a fit and disrespect you? Listen we are all sinners. It is a part of us. And we do not have a sinful nature because we sin. We sin because we have a sinful nature. It's who we are. We're born into sin thanks to Adam. He, has, he is the one to blame. So Adam and Eve are now awakened. Their eyes are opened and they are experiencing like something they had never experienced before. And their world will never be the same. It has fallen from perfection. Now here's where this sinful nature begins to Rear its ugly head. We now get to see. They've experienced their eyes are open. And now let's see how it plays itself out. First of all, how does it respond? How do they respond in this new sinful nature? Number one is they hide. First thing they do in this sinful nature is they hide. First of all, they hide from each other. Verse seven, it says, And they sowed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now God is not here yet, (laughs) He comes here in the next passage. But Adam and Eve together, and in that moment, sin comes, and what do they do? It's just like when somebody opens the door, and you're getting dressed, what do you do? You cover yourself, right? It's an instinct. It's a nature. It is the shame that comes. And they begin to sow fig leaves. Now, how long were those fig leaves going to last? Think about that. If you rip a leaf off of a tree, how long does it take for it to shrivel up? It Immediately... It starts. It was such a feeble attempt to cover that shame between one another that they begin to hide. So they hid from each other because they had a sense of shame. They were no longer comfortable with each other or with themselves. Sin had tainted and destroyed even how they viewed themselves. It was internal. So they hid from each other. Shame is a powerful, powerful and destructive emotion. It infects all people in some way. And I hadn't planned on reading this, but it's something I'd come across because I don't want to get into psychology, but I believe psychology gives a reflection of this sinful nature. And this is from Stephen Tracy. He's written a book on shame, a Christian book. You can get it on Christianbooks.com concerning shame. And he said, Here are some symptoms of shame. This is what happens. And you think, I can see Adam and Eve in this moment, this openness, and now they are closed. To one another, here are some of the symptoms of shame, and see if you can relate to any of these. There's a chronic struggle with low self-esteem. You now, all of a sudden, I wonder: as Adam, all this time before the fall, if he looked into a, a pool of water and they could see their reflection, and even the same way they had never been discontent with their body. I mean, everything was perfect. Their image of themselves, how God viewed them, they saw themselves as God had created them in his image. But now as they, in the fallen nature, wonder how many times they looked in that pool of water and said, man, I wish I had some more muscle. I wish I was a little taller. I wish I wish something was different. We are no longer content. So there's a chronic struggle with low self-esteem. There can be low-grade depression because of the shame inside. There's a sense of hopelessness. There is insecurity and jealousy as a symptom of shame. There is a need to be to compare and compete. There is the inability to accept criticism. In our shame we feel the need to blame others. We'll see that in just a second. We don't feel like we belong. We are self-focused, externally focused, and in our life we will sabotage any intimacy that can come into our life. In our shame there can be hypocrisy in our lives, and there can be an unawareness and dishonesty with our feelings. Shame infects us and it infected Adam and Eve so they begin to hide from each other. Their attempt to cover themselves outwardly did nothing to cover them inwardly, emotionally, and spiritually. It was useless, a feeble attempt to hide their shame. But they didn't just hide from each other with the fig leaves. It says next that they hid from God. Verse number 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and and Adam and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees. Now that they have shame and guilt and even fear, they are now responding to God in a way they never had before. They had never known fear. In fact, as he would come, the sense there is that it was a pattern, a habit of them to get together as he would come walk with them in the garden. All the times before, I just can't help but imagine them hearing the Lord God come in the cool of the day that they would run to meet their creator. Think about that. Can you think about walking with God physically? Think about the conversations. I just imagine that they ask tons of questions of their creator. And they heard that day after day. And now all of a sudden instead of going to him, they do the very opposite in their shame and guilt and fear. They run and hide from their creator. And it seems crazy to us, don't it? I mean, it's almost like me walking over here Doing this and even doing this and say, I know y'all can't see me. Crazy, right? It's almost like a child. Adam and Eve hiding from the creator who is omniscient, omnipotent. They go and try to hide behind trees. Psalm 139 reminds us, says, Oh Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit and stand up. You know my thoughts. Even when I'm far off. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me. You follow me. And then the psalmist says, I can never escape your spirits. I, spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go to the grave, you are there. But right on the wings of the morning, and if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me. To become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. Adam and Eve are trying to hide from an omniscient God. When you have sin, and you have specifically, as they're dealing with now, the shame and guilt, it will cause you to do irrational, crazy things. Them hiding from God seems crazy. But before we move on, kind of mocking Adam and Eve and what they try to do, do we not do that as well? Do we not have our own way that we try to hide from God? For those who are unbelievers in our world, you can read Romans chapter 1. They are, have a knowledge, they are accountable. Every person who lived is, lives is accountable because they have no excuse. God has made himself evident in all the revelation, on all of creation. But it says that they take the truth of God and they suppress it. This world apart from God, they suppress the knowledge, they deny the knowledge It says they'll even make for themselves idols and worship that, but they just hide from God by suppressing the truth. They become atheists. They deny that God even exists in order to hide from the reality that there is a God that they're accountable to. But think about this as believers, how crazy it is that we believe in some ways we can hide from God. I put, there's three here, as I was studying, just three of these that, you know, these aren't, um, definitive, but I, these are ones I've seen and I can relate to. But As believers, when we have sin in our life, when we are not following Him, here's one way. We just stop communicating. Stop communication with God. We no longer seek to hear from Him, talk to Him, and we will, willfully neglect time in prayer and time in His Word. We will not listen to Him and we will not talk to Him. Why? Because of sin. It makes us hide from the one who can do something about our sin. The second thing we do, we just avoid time with His people. We may drop out of church because we are no longer comfortable coming in here. We feel like we walk in, we will be judged. Everybody knows what I've been doing and that shame will drive them away from God's people and His church. And they hide wherever they go on Sunday. Maybe they hide in their habits. They may hide in sports. They may hide on the golf course. They may hide at home that they avoid time with God and His people. And then the third thing, and I think maybe this is the most subtle and the most common and the most hard to find is, we just put on our church clothes. What do I mean by that? I mean, we got sin in our life, we're struggling, but nobody knows, so we put on our Sunday best, figuratively, we walk into the church, we get as involved as we can, We make sure everybody sees us in just the right light. We go through the motions. We post all the right scriptures on Facebook. We put on our church clothes and we hide behind this lie because we know before God we are not right. And all our goal is to make sure we look right with everybody else and we hide behind that mask. So Adam and Eve hid from God in their sinful nature. We, even as believers, can find ourselves hiding in different ways. It is our guilt and our shame that causes us to respond that way. But here's the reality. And what Adam and Eve should have known but didn't, what we should know but we don't. When we find ourselves wallowing in the pigsty of sin, wallowing in the pigsty of sin, instead of running from God, what we should do is run to Him. see, there is no one that can clean you up you can run this way, that way, any way away from God you can go to religion, you can run just church activities, none of that cleans you up, you must run to the presence of God he is the only one that can clean you up and I don't know who said this, it may have been the late Dave Busby but something to this effect and this is something you need to write on, the, on your heart and that is this the safest place in all the world, to be totally exposed is in the presence of God. The safest place in all the world, in your sin, in your mess, in your bad choices, in your guilt, in your shame, the safest place to have that totally opened up and exposed is in the presence of God because He is the only one who can clean you and make you right. Stop running from the God who wants to heal you. Stop running from the God who can forgive you and clean you up. Come out of hiding. So they hid, first of all. Sin reared its ugly head, and they began to hide. But here's the second one. They began to blame. They blamed several people here, verses 11 through 13. First of all, Adam blames Eve. It says, and the Lord God's, verse number 11 you say that, right? Lord God said to Adam, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. I was naked, and I hid myself. And he says in the, to the man, he said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. First of all, Adam blames Eve. Can you imagine the look that Adam got? I mean, you go back to the previous chapter God pulls Eve, the rib out of Adam, puts him to sleep. He wakes up and he sees this woman. And it's, all, it's like music's, music's going off. Doves are floating. And he's like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you are mine. God made you for me. And then all of a sudden it's like, God, it's this woman. <laughs> She's the problem. How quickly things change in our flesh, in our carnal nature, in our sinful nature. So Adam blames Eve. He throws her under the bus. You think she ever brought that back up? <laughs> the lady's like, huh? Guys, you understand what I'm talking about. So Adam blames Eve, but also Adam blames God. It's the woman that you gave me. It wasn't just the woman. Yes, she did offer it to him, but he says, it's the woman that you gave me before she was here, everything was fine. But now the woman has come, and it's the woman you created. Remember, that was your doing. You pulled her out of my side. Um, That wasn't my doing, God. That was your doing. Blames God, the woman that he gave her. And then Eve blames the serpent. The serpent deceived her. There is never ownership of their sin. They are still hiding in their guilt from God, and they do not come clean. They are victims, right? We live in a culture and a world that is full of this victim mentality. It is never our fault. This victim mentality, when it comes to our sinful nature, makes us think, I can't help it. It's just the way I was. It's the way I was born. It's the way I was raised. If my family wasn't so dysfunctional, I'd be a better Christian. If my parents had not divorced, I would not be struggling. If my family was more supportive, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if this had happened or that had not happened, you fill in the blank, we have an excuse in our sinful nature. We can blame everybody but ourselves. Husbands may say, if my wife would just show me more respect, or my husband, the wife may say, if my husband just made me feel more wanted, I would not have gone this way, I would not have done that, I would not have started this relationship. Blame, 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 blame. We still do the same thing. And I don't want to minimize the pain that comes from circumstances in our life. You know, a lot of the stuff we suffer with, it's not not the sins we have done, but the sins that have been done to us. Abuse is a reality. And it's a hurdle to jump and try to climb over, some of you for the rest of your life. But here's the reality. At some point, we all must take ownership and own up to our own sinfulness. No matter what's happened in our past, no matter what we're struggling with right now, we must own our sin and come clean. Take our guilt. Face it, bring that responsibly to God, acknowledging that sin and guilt. We cannot say we do not have sin. Romans 3:10 through 12 says As the scripture says no one is righteous, no one not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. So we see immediately the fall, and then this sinful nature bubbles up, and it comes out with shame and guilt, now fear, and they hide from God. They blame God. They blame each other. But here's the amazing thing. In the middle of the mess of Genesis chapter 3, the middle part of this chapter, Right in the middle of that. God shows up. He could have totally abandoned Adam and Eve. And his creation in that moment. And rightfully and been just in doing that. They deserve punishment. The wages of sin is always death. He could have walked away. But in the middle of the mess. In the middle of them. Actively not trusting him. Not believing him. And acting against him. God shows up. And here's the second thing. Not only do we see the nature of our sinful nature, the reality of that, but we see, secondly, this. And that is God's nature and His character revealed. God's nature and His character revealed. In the middle of the mess, God shows up. And what does He do? We see His character of His grace, His mercy, His love, His holiness, His justice. All of that is on display in this amazing chapter. First of all, we see that God seeks. He did not abandon them to their shame and their sin. Verse 8, He came back to the garden. God came seeking for them. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The parable of the lost sheep talks about how he would leave the 99 and go find the one that is lost. That is the nature and character of our great God. He is a God who seeks after sinners. Can any of you acknowledge that you are thankful that God sought you? Can any of you attest to that and testify say, I don't know where I'd be if God had not come to me. We just read, we don't seek after him, but he comes to us. I am so thankful as a seven-year-old boy. It was August, I believe, August seventeenth, 1980. I was just a kid. I remember it so clearly. I'm thankful that God's allowed me to remember it. It was a Sunday night, and we'd had a church service. I don't remember much about the service, but I do remember being in the car. And I didn't know what it was. I know now it was the convicting power of the Spirit. I didn't ask for it, but in that moment, I began to become aware, even as a seven-year-old boy, that I needed God. And that night, my altar wasn't here. It was beside my bed. As my mom prayed with me, and as best I knew, I put my faith in Jesus. Not because I was seeking him, but because he came looking for me. As a sinful little boy, with a sinful nature, not seeking God, he came to me. And I will never forget that night. I remember walking out. It's funny, I remember that night our neighbor had lost her dog. It was a husky. So we were walking around the neighborhood. It was a starry night. And I'm not being dramatic. It really was. As we walked around the neighborhood, I can remember looking up and feeling so different. It's hard to put words around it as a kid, but all I knew was something had changed. And that was not because I deserved it, not because I was looking for God, but because God came searching and seeking me. We have a God who seeks us. He came and he sought Adam and Eve in their mess, though they didn't deserve it. But see, he sought, and then secondly, God questions. He showed great mercy and patience to them first question he asked was where are you? He says, who told you you were naked? did you eat from the tree of which I commanded you? you shouldn't eat? what is this that you have done? I am so thankful that God is patient Second 2 Second Peter 3, 9 says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should come or reach repentance so God, aren't you thankful he sought you And aren't you thankful that God in his love and patience comes and he brings conviction to your life so that you may come to him. He questioned Adam. He questioned Eve. And it wasn't for information. No, God is omniscient. So when he says, Adam, where are you? That was not seeking information. That was seeking illumination for Adam himself say. Adam didn't know where he was. Adam needed to realize where he was. God knew where he was. He knew Exactly what had happened, but he sought the opportunity for them to come clean and question his creation. And here's the reality, too. I asked you earlier when you read that, Adam, where are you? If God says that to you, do you hear harshness or do you hear compassion? Because as one writer as I was studying he said it's not as if God is coming as an interrogating police officer he is coming as a broken father out of concern for his children so God seeks and God questions give showing great patience abounding in love and mercy but then God judges God judges and here's this is another two or three week study and I'm not going to get into that but just real quickly We see that God's judgment is right in what he does. He curses the serpent. The animal kingdom is cursed. He says that there will be ongoing conflict between Satan and the woman, between her offspring and his, between her family and the descendants of his who will not follow God. There will be conflict, basically what he's saying, between light and darkness. Basically a declaration of war on Satan. There will be an increase in pain and pregnancy. There will be marital conflict. It'll be like feminism versus chauvinism. The marital relationship in that order is now broken and there will be conflict. He says the ground is cursed and then ultimately physical death and then they are sent out of the garden and blocked from the tree of life. Those judgments come down immediately except for them dying, which he died later. God is providing judgment but then, and I want to finish up because of time, the fourth thing is this, God provides a way in God's nature he provides a way. First way he does it is ultimately he's going to defeat Satan. Verse 15 says and I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and and her seed and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's interesting most people believe this is the first instance, the first revelation of the gospel the good news, the first glimpse into what God is going to do. It says the seed of Eve there will be a man that comes in her, in her seed from generations on down. At some point there will be a man that is born, and it says born of woman. Isn't that an interesting little phrase there? That's not there by accident because if you look at genealogy, it's always traced through the male, son of, son of, son of. But here we see this will be of woman because this one who's coming will not have an earthly father. And we see it laid out in Scripture. Isaiah seven fourteen says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and he will call his, she will call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. His heel will be bruised. But then we see in Galatians 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman... As we see in Genesis 3, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So God will defeat Satan and it will come through her seed and we see that it will be the Messiah. But We see also that God will also provide a way back into relationship with him. Very quickly, look at verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. In order for them to find some acceptable clothing, the fig leaves would not do. That was man's feeble attempt to cover themselves so that they could have a relationship in their shame. But God in this moment provided covering that was acceptable. He said, skins, or tunics of skins, a covering. And it's not, it's not a, a far reach to believe that two lambs would have been slain. For the first time, blood was shed provide a covering for Adam and Eve. Skins. The way you get skins off animals, you kill them. You've got to skin their hide off. And God provided the first sacrifice for Adam and Eve so that their relationship could be restored, that things could be covered over, their sin could be covered over. God provided immediately. The first shedding of blood It's the first picture, the first clue of how God would punish sin without punishing us. The lambs died that day. Those animals covered Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve did not have to die. God would provide a substitute. And if we stretch that out throughout the Old Testament, we see that first sacrifice. And then we see later on where a lamb was provided for Abraham, gone to sacrifice his son, and God provided a lamb as a substitute. Then we see at the Exodus, as they are still in bondage, that a lamb was slain and the blood put over the doorposts. And God protected those families of those households from death as the death angel passed over. And then we see the sacrificial system. It's no longer just for an individual and not just for a family, but God allowed a lamb to be slain once a year for the sins of a nation. And then we get into the New Testament and we see John the Baptist who says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away not just my sin, not just my family's sin, not just my nation's sin, but the sins of all the world, we have a sacrifice, a substitute that God provided that was started back in Genesis chapter 3. Ultimately, Jesus comes, born of a woman, born of a virgin, lives a perfect life, and God provides a way, a substitute for you, a substitute for me, a way to be made right with him, not on their own effort, but on what he's provided, and that is a perfect lamb, his son, Jesus Christ, just as he promised way back in Genesis chapter 3. So my question as we close is, do you simply know him? If God says, where are you? Do you know where you're at? Do you know if you're right with him, or are you still hiding? Do you really understand the depth of your sin? How desperately you and I need a savior? You know, one final little thought. We read over it real quick, but it talks about how when they sinned and God placed his judgments, that he put a cherubim in the garden with a sword, and that was to drive them out, and they could never come back. There was now a block, there was a barrier between man and the presence of God, what they had once known. When the temple and the instruction, or the tabernacle instructions came, they were instructed, and you can read it in Ezekiel to inlay cherub on the curtain of the cur- the curtain that stood outside the holy of holies the curtain that divided the presence of god with the people and on that curtain they were instructed to put cherubs on that curtain that same temple that same tabernacle curtain would have been in the temple with the cherub on there as a reminder of what happened in genesis chapter 3 that we are blocked from god our relationship has been severed and the only way through that is through sacrifice. And you remember what Jesus said on the cross. He said, it is finished, To tell die As he died, that temple covered in cherub, blocking our way to God, was ripped from top to bottom. Still going back to Genesis chapter 3. God's plan, God's promise and his way of delivery has always been the same. Do you know him? Have you trusted him? Let's bow our heads as we close. I encourage you to allow the God, God to search your heart. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, and you are still in that sinful nature, you have not been made alive, you don't know Jesus, he is not your Savior. Today, you can come to know him by simply trusting in him, in him as your Lord and Savior. To acknowledge that you're a sinner, guilty, deserving punishment, but trusting that when Jesus died on that cross, he was dying not for his sins, but for your sins. And just say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want you to be my savior. I put my faith and trust in you alone. And for those of you here that are, that are believers, do you feel like you've been hiding from him, Are you're blaming others, I just encourage you, allow yourself to be exposed before God. Allow him to search your heart and come clean. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you again for this passage and help us Help us to never forget your great sacrifice. From the very beginning you had a plan. Jesus, you were slain before the foundations of this world. So many times this world runs away from you. They deny you, but the very one they need is the one that died on the cross for sins. And we must run to you, acknowledging our need. Lord, help us to walk in that reality, your great love. Help us to never hide from you but to be open and be exposed to allow you to clean us so that we can walk with you freely. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're going today, if you need to talk, we're going to be available. Our staff's available. But just a reminder, next Sunday, we encourage you to be here. Invite somebody to come with you. We will have Bethel Colony of Mercy. They will be coming to share song, music, and testimony. Last time they were here, it was such a blessing. You will not want to miss next Sunday. Hope you have a great afternoon. Lord willing, we'll see you next week.